0: Happy New Year, church. Happy New Year. It's wonderful to be together in the presence of God. It is wonderful to be alive and to be on the receiving end of His mercy and His grace and His love. And I want to give a, a huge greeting to anyone who's here for the first time. We are thrilled to have you. And then a shout out to everyone watching online, everyone in Alma, and everyone in Mount Pleasant. It's wonderful to be together. What will 2022 be like? Is this going to be a good one? Give me an amen on that. It's going to be a great year. Who knows what it will hold? And of course, we don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. God knows the answer to that. Maybe 2022 will be, maybe it'll have some challenges and um, some surprises and some difficulties. Maybe it will be easy street. Maybe it's going to be full of success and promotion and wonderful uh, surprises that just bless you. Who knows? God knows the answer to that. I watched a video quite recently. I found it kind of fascinating. And it was a video of Harvard um, students, so pretty fancy college, and they were finished their studies and they were going into a job fair. And so on the other side of the door is a whole bunch of companies and organizations who really, really want to hire these Harvard graduates. And these graduates are walking out the door with uh, you know PhDs and master's degrees from a pretty, pretty fancy uh, university. And the interview was one simple question for every one of these young men and women just about to enter into this job fair and then get on with the rest of their life. They have finished their education. And the single question was simply this, um, what do you want to do with your life slash career? And what was fascinating to me about this video is not a single person was able to answer the question. Like one of the best, most prestigious universities, perhaps in the world, they've just spent a ton of money, right? A ton of work and effort and study and all those exams and all of that learning. And now they're getting to this point, you've got these companies who are salivating over, you know, they're saying, well, these might be some of the top minds in the country. We wanna get these young men and women. And uh, they say, what what do you wanna do with with your life? What do you wanna do? with your career, and, and not a single one. In fact, they shrugged their shoulders and they kind of wandered into that room aimlessly, about to make probably a fairly big-sized decision about purpose and destiny and next steps for their life. Fascinating stuff. What if I told you that it did not have to be that way? What if I told you that as followers of Jesus Christ in particular, that it's, it's okay in fact, that's not even the right word. In fact, it is right that as followers of Jesus Christ, we would have a keen sense of moving forward deliberately in our lives. I see too many people living their lives by default. And do you know what I mean by that? Now, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen in our life that doesn't surprise us. Sometimes things are outside of our control. Of course Sometimes good things happen, some things bad things happen, and we can't do anything about those kinds of things. But what I am saying to you is this. You are made in the image of God. You are designed by God, and you are designed for God to live in accordance to His purposes. And I see too many people who don't know that and don't think like that, don't speak like that, and don't live out their lives in accordance with the purposes and the designs and the will of God over their lives. And what I'm saying to you is that you can actually pursue that intelligently under God's leadership. You can examine your life. You can do that. You can make sure that you are in the company of good friends who will hold you accountable to live up to the values that you assert. You can do that. Or you can ignore that and you can live by default. I think you can live with a strong sense of determination in your life. Proverbs chapter 20 verse five says this, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. There's actually something for you to do in that scripture right there. There's something for you to get your hands around and grab a hold of. So I think starting this year, there's an opportunity in front of us as a church. No matter your age, no matter your station, no matter your resources, to take some time with God as you begin this year. Together, you might take a look at this one and only life that you get, and to simply come before God and say, God, you've designed me in your image for your purposes. What would that look like, God? I want to be a part of that. Anything other than that is to live your life by default. And if you live your life by default, either deliberately by default, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not, or accidentally by default because you're just not really thinking about things, when you do that, here's what you will do every time. Here's what I know about you and me. We will drift always for the path of least resistance. You'll always go for it. What's the easiest thing to do? I'll do that. What's the least amount of effort that I could extend? I will extend the least amount of effort. And you will just drift in life. I have heard too many times, does this sound familiar, talking to people? Oh, I don't know, something just doesn't feel right. I'm not very motivated. You know, I just don't know what to do next. Ah, you know, marriage is okay. Yeah, it's a bit, my marriage is a bit stagnant. My friendship's a bit kind of stagnant. Same old gang doing the same old thing. I'm tired. I'm not very motivated. Uh, I know I've got some bad habits. Yeah, I mean, okay. I don't feel very connected to God. I mean, have you, have you said these things? Have you heard these things from people? I've heard them so many times. In fact, I've heard it too much. As though a stagnant marriage, as an example, is something that you can do nothing about. Well, of course you can. As though a stalled career that has hit a dead end leaves you in a position where you're like, well, there's nothing I can do about that. Of course there's something you can do about that. There are major decisions that you could make. As though a person who says, you know, I'm nowhere with God, I'm telling you 99.9% of the time that person has just stopped pursuing God in their life. And they've become stagnant in all of that. How many times have you heard in society, and I'm not even joking you, <laughs> it's total pet peeve, total pet peeve. This sentence, uh, starting the year off well, guys. Pet peeve, right here. I'm the kind of person who, oh, I really, really dislike that statement. Ever heard it? Ever said it? I'm the kind of person who, as if your behavior, your words are controlled by some kind of thing in the back of your head that says, I don't have any choice in that because this is just the kind of person that I am. I have no time for that at all. Like you are incapable of change, incapable of saying, I might have a proclivity to think like this, talk like this, behave like this, but I can actually do something in Christ Jesus to not be that way anymore. How many times have you heard it? I just can't control myself when I, or I fly off the handle when these things happen. We say these sentences all the time, and it is mindless language that excuses thinking, speech, and action and treatment of other people and paints yourself into a corner that seems to suggest that change is not an option for you. That's just the kind of person I am, sorry. Amen? Amen? Listen to this from Malcolm Jeeves. We are not automata, able to do nothing but react to our genes, our environment, or even God's grace. We are personal beings created by God for Himself. Moreover, what God has given us is not to be regarded as a static endowment. Our character can be refined, our behavior can change, our convictions can mature. Our gifts can be cultivated. We are indeed free to be different. Hmm, I like that. And so for the next several weeks, starting today, we are going to take a biblical case study one week at a time. And I want you to examine your life in the light of very significant individuals in God's Word. I want you to discover fallacies, lies that you have believed and operated under. Like, I'm just the kind of person who. And I want you to put them aside. And I want you to discover new truth in God's word for you this year that will put you onto a fresh path. So I want to begin with, I think, perhaps the best place to begin, and that is the original prototype. The original and perfectly designed life. His name is Adam. And I'm going to pull off four key areas in his life. And over each of these key areas, I want you to answer this single question. Am I living by default, or am I living by design? Okay, four key areas in your life. Am I living in default mode on this, or am I living by design in this area of my life? So four areas, here's number one. God gave you a physical life. Number one, God gave you a physical life. If you are here today, I'm telling you right now, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You have a purpose. You have a function because you were made by one who is good. Look at you today. Look at you. Fine bunch of good-looking people. And I've been to Alma, and you guys are a good-looking bunch of people too. Online, thumbs up. Look at how God brags about your physical body. Fingers and toes, right? Look at what he says, Psalm 139. For you were created... My inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, what's, who's he talking about here, guys? Us, and what's specifically about us? Our physical bodies. He says, your works are, everyone together, wonderful. I know that full well. That is God bragging about your physical body. So your body was made by design and not by default. It's a great book. I probably read it 20 years ago. It's co-authored by Philip Yancey, who's a phenomenal Christian author. Read anything that man writes. But it's co-authored by another guy by the name of Dr. Paul Brandt. uh, The book's called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Look at what it says. He says, I want you to marvel at this for just a moment. You began as a single fertilized cell. While you were still in your mother's womb, that single cell led to 60,000 miles of capillaries and blood vessels forming precisely where and when they needed to be. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now just take that and go, wow, that's me. That's your body. Nobel Prize winning Yale mathematician wrote about the development of the human body from a single cell and the instructions that go into your DNA. This is what he wrote, he said, the complexity of these, the mathematical models of how these things are needed, done, are beyond human comprehension. Even though I'm a mathematician, I look at this and marvel at how did we get these instruction sets? And that there's not a mistake in what they built within us. He says three things, not a Christian. He says, it's a mystery, it's magic, it's divinity. He got it right the third time. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Ortberg comments on this he says newborn infants there's a hole in the septum between two ventricles of the heart that closes at precisely the right moment at birth to allow for the oxygenation of oxygenation of blood your body has 39 trillion cells your body has 39 trillion bacteria how does your immune system know which cells to attack and which cells to leave alone your body is fearfully and wonderfully made it's amazing you're literally amazing your eyes are only 1% of the weight of your head. They have 120 million cones. These cones are so sensitive that the smallest unit of light, one photon, will register on them. Your eye is capable of seeing the flame from a single candle at a distance of 15 miles. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will tell you, the amazing sense of smell. If a male moth smells a single molecule of pheromone from a girl moth three miles away, he will not eat or rest until he tracks down the captivating moth girl. And one molecule of pheromone per mile is enough for him to find her. And all the men said, amen. (laughs) Your physical body is amazing. And you ought to praise God. Did you know that? Like, look in the mirror. That's exactly what the scripture says. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody say, praise God. I mean, just because you have a physical body. This is what God gave to this original prototype. The perfectly designed life, Adam. He gave him a physical body, and he gave you one too. I think we ought to respond with glory and adoration he not only created the entire universe the galaxies and stars and black holes and dark matter but also your body from a single cell you are fearfully and wonderfully made here's what adam and eve knew about their bodies that we ought to know their bodies your body they are a gift from god they're loners okay it's a loner that's what you're living in right now they are a part of god's creation your body is a part of god's creation and therefore You need to take care of your body so what are you doing to take care of the body that God gave you the physical body are you living by default are you just drifting or are you living by design with your physical body perhaps even this morning God is saying to you I want you to take better care of the body that I've given to you maybe to rethink what you eat or how you sleep or how you rest or how you move or how you exercise Perhaps God is calling you into a weekly rhythm of just resting your body. Perhaps God is calling you to increase your fitness. There are some of you here that God is calling you not to be so obsessive about your fitness. This is your physical body. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. Wow, that's a different way of looking at your body, isn't it? This is your body. Your body is not a neutral thing. It's not a machine. It is a gift from God. It is an amazing design. And to offer it, our bodies, this amazing thing that God has given to us, is to give Him honor and glory because your body is actually holy. In our culture today, so many are taught not to like your body, to shame your body. But your body is pleasing to God, and it should be pleasing to you. In fact, here's one of the most striking statements from this prototype, Adam. It says that Adam and his wife, they were naked, and they felt no shame. I think the typical to think, the thinking is, well, they probably look like supermodels. But the Bible doesn't say they look like supermodels. It doesn't say that at all. It just said, whatever their bodies look like, they were not ashamed of their bodies, and they were blessed that God gave them to them in a culture of constant body shaming and eating disorders, a fear of aging, obsessing with appearances, rejecting our own bodies, hiding gray hair, plastic surgery. My body is not good enough. My body is too much this or too little of that, or I don't like this part of my body, or I wish I were different or I wish it operated different as a church, can we agree that for every single person here that our bodies are holy and they are pleasing to God because he made them, amen? Every age spot, every wrinkle, anyone got a wrinkle here? I've got one or two creeping in here. Every gray hair, every non-hair, mine is fading quickly every face, every shape, every color, every size, every condition, your body was designed by God and is precious to God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Start this year by design with your body. Number two, God gave you a work life. God gave you a work life. Again, same question. So with regards to your work life, are you living just drifting in default mode or are you living in a way where you are deliberately, proactively working within the purposes of God? Some of you are suffering from what is simply known as good enough. Some people think that life in the Garden of Eden for Adam was a permanent vacation or retirement community, you know, golf and drinks at the club and all of that. Take a look at what it says, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Right here at the beginning. The difference between a jungle and a garden is design. Somebody deliberately pouring themselves into that. The gardener has to plan and plant and shape and seed and water and weed and all of that is work. And that was Adam's job. Work is a good thing. Work is a great thing. Work is from God. God has placed you here not to drift, but to work. In whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do to add value when you work, whatever that looks like, so that you can take what looks like a jungle and turn it into an incredible garden, so that you can take a house and turn it into a home, so that you can take something that's good and make it really great make it very good. Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That is a paradigm shift for a ton of people right now. Hold on a second. Who's my boss? You might be thinking, you don't know my boss. My boss is a pain in the neck. My boss has a terrible attitude. He doesn't pay me well. He's grumpy. I can't stand this guy. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. Who do you work for? You work for Jesus Christ. I don't care where you go to work. You work for Jesus Christ. And one day, this scripture tells us that your reward is coming from him. So maybe you don't like your job. Maybe you love your job. Maybe you'd like to get a different job. That's great, but for right now, today, and Monday morning, tomorrow, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do that with all of your heart. Pour yourself into it. So walking through the door, I'm here to bless my colleagues. Yeah, even those ones that I despise. I'm here to bless my co-workers. Do I ask God constantly for his help so that we can work together in whatever I find my to put my hand to. When I'm in default mode, vocationally, you just punch the clock. Just get in and get out and just check out. You're not working for God. You're not doing it with all your heart. If you're a student here today, school starts in the morning for my kids. Head into school. Learn with diligence and joy because that's what you were made for. If you're a student. I want you to avoid living in this sort of hyper-performance-driven activity where you have to get everything perfect and 4.0 and A-plus, everything that crushes young people. Because God loves you no matter what. Don't cheat on tests, but just learn with integrity and be grateful for the opportunity. Maybe you're older. You know that Bible verse that says, "'Thou shalt retire at 65?' Some of you are like, man, I wish that was in the Bible. Cash in the 401, get the green pastures going on. There's no word retire in the Bible. If you're not dead, you're not done. You can stop working, you can stop working for a paycheck. Now may be the perfect moment in your life to begin mentoring and discipling and helping and serving and tutoring and helping and encouraging. If you're alive, you have a purpose. You are designed that way. Number three, God gave you a relational life. Again, same question. In the context of your relationships and your friendships, are you drifting? Are you in default mode? Or are you doing relationships with other people deliberately by God's design? Now this is actually an amazing thing. God didn't have to do this. He could have just made Adam and said, okay, I'm all done. God in creation was making and creating and saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. He gets to Adam, he says, this is very good. And then when he sees Adam alone, he says, this is not good. It's not okay. There must be connection. You're designed this way by relational God to be in relationship with the community that you're in. The idea is, if you are in isolation, you are incomplete. Adam was not complete. He needed to be made whole. He needed to be completed, and this happened in relationship. And I think this is just as true for single people as it is for married people. Imagine you built a house, and I asked you, so, you know, what's the house going to be like? One story, two story, square footage. How many bedrooms? Bathrooms? You know, are you going to have somewhere for the car? And you just kind of looked at me and said, uh, I don't know. I just thought I'd start swinging a hammer here, and we'll see what happens. Who would do that? I'd love to see that house. That would be a really weird-looking house, wouldn't it? Nobody does that. Nobody builds that by default. And yet we do that with relationships all the time. Do we spend time together with other people on drift default mode, or do we do it deliberately by design? Do we parent our children in sort of automatic, you know, responses Do we pray together? Do you connect with your husband or your wife? Do you manage your finances? Do you manage your schedule? Do you show care? How do you speak to each other? I guarantee you this, for every marriage in the room today, even every friendship, don't let 24 hours go, but just give yourself two minutes to think. What could I, by design, say that would be, say something out of my mouth in Christ to my husband or my wife or my friend that would absolutely bless this person within the next 24 hours? That's a game changer. You're now beginning to live by design in your relationships. Genesis chapter 2, look at how poetic Adam is. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Not bad, Adam. How many of you entered into marriage thinking, I think I know everything I need to know? (laughs) Anyone do that? I think I kind of had a bit of that going on. I was wrong. I was very wrong. I remember one year for my wife's birthday, this wasn't even newlyweds. We're married... uh, 20 something, 20, she's not here. 22 years, I think, 22 years. This wasn't even newlyweds. This was probably like a decade into my marriage, and it was her birthday, and I bought her clothes. (laughs) Come on, guys, how wise is this? The women are like, no, what are you? I bought her like a pair of trousers, and a dress, and a sweater, and a shirt, and I I picked out the colors, and I picked out the sizes, and I bought, and I put them in the wrap paper, and I gave them to her. (laughs) She, she's so nice, she's so nice, she was like, oh, she was like, Ooh, and she was Like, oh, that's lovely, thank you, and after her birthday, she sent every single thing back to the shop, she never wore a single item, I bought her, nothing, guys, never ever buy your wife clothes, if she says thank you, and I love it, she's lying to you, okay, that's a lie from the pit of hell, I think it says in the Bible, thou shalt not buyeth clothes for thine wife, or something like that, I tell you, I told her the other day, if she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. (laughs) It's very telling for Adam and Eve that their sin did damage not only to their relationship with God, of course, but their sin did damage in their relationship to each other. And when, when God asks Adam, look, what has happened here? This rebellion, this This prodigal behavior, this this mess that you guys have made. What have you done, Adam? What has happened? What does he do? He immediately throws her under the bus. It's not my fault. She did it. She told me. She. It destroyed their relationship, instantly damaging it. And God invents, for the first time, something that you've heard of, but it never existed before. He invents this thing called reconciliation. Think for a moment about your relationships. God didn't have to do it. It's a gift. He could have made you the only person on the planet. He could have made you in isolation, but he has created you in the context of other human beings to be known and to be loved and to be served. It's unbelievable. We take it for granted all the time. Am I living by design with the people in my life? Am I in a relationship with friends who are influencing me in a godly direction? Do I even think about that? Do I pray together with these people? Do I call out the best? Do we call out the best in each other? Do I share my struggles with them honestly? Do I tell them about my temptations and my guilt and my shame and my sin? Do I actually confess those things? Nobody wants to do that, but this is what we ought to do. It is so easy to get sucked into idolizing your work life and neglecting your relationship life and you just put it on default mode last one number four god gave you a spiritual life again same question in the context of your spiritual life are you living by default just drifting or are you in a deliberate proactive design moving forward with god above all else above all else you were designed for a relationship with god Here's a great secret. All of this, I mean, just take it in if you can. All of it, the cosmos, the universe, planet Earth was designed to seat you in relationship with God. Wow. All of this was put here to put you in a position to be in relationship with God. What an elaborate friend we have in this king. Genesis 3, Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I've been fascinated by that scripture probably since the first time I ever found it. I've been drawn to its simplicity, this idea that God was going to go for a walk with Adam and Eve. It's such an easy thing to do, isn't it? To go for a walk with somebody. It's such a natural thing to do, just to be putting one foot in front of another, a boyfriend and a girlfriend holding hands, a husband and a wife going for a walk out into the woods, a little child, you ever have a little child, grab your finger, you go, it's such an easy thing, it's such a normal, natural thing. An older couple chattering away, maybe moving a little bit slower. We see this in the Bible. There's a guy called Enoch. It says he walked with God. We see people like Abraham and Moses and David, and it says they just walked with God all of their lives. But we see it first in Adam, designed to walk with God, designed to talk to God about all these other things like work and family and parenting and marriage and relationships and friendships All of these things, even his physical body, designed to just be with God, to ask God questions, to hear from him, to talk to him, to laugh with him. Are you walking with God by design? Are you deliberately being with him? Sometimes you gotta say, let's go for a walk. Let's get in the car, we're gonna go, and let's go for a walk. It's what you were made to do. To talk to God, to learn from him, to ask him for his help, to listen to him to be filled with gratitude and honesty and confession, to find forgiveness, to listen to him. You see, one day, God came for a walk. But they weren't there anymore. They were hiding in sin and shame and guilt and fear and worry. I was just thinking how sometimes we avoid God and we hide you can even be in church and be hiding from god avoiding him avoid his word avoiding the community of god sitting on the edge not wanting maybe to go to a community group i don't want to talk about you know what's actually going on in my life i don't want to talk about my weaknesses or my sins i don't want to talk i don't want to do it i think i'll hide We're really good about not thinking about God. This is Adam. His physical body, his life of incredible work, his relationship with others, and his walk with God. What can you learn from this first design? And how can you find obedience this year? Obedience. To be a disciple, to obey him. Did you know that in the New Testament letters, there's kind of a nickname given to Jesus? He's called the second Adam. Did you know that about Jesus? It's a nickname given to him. You see, Jesus, he's the upgrade. He's the 2.0. He's the design the way it was meant to be, always meant to be this way. And he comes and he dies on a cross. Why? Why did he do that? He did it for Adam. And he did it for every son and daughter of Adam. You and I. So that our sins could be forgiven and our shame could be healed so that you could come out of hiding. That if you would confess your sins, repent of your old way of life and just give God half a chance you will hear these divine footsteps coming around the corner would you like to come for a walk with me what a way to start the year that his face would shine upon you that his arms would be wide open to you and you could begin to walk with god through jesus the second adam that is how you begin to live a life by design Everyone online and at Alma and at Mount Pleasant, would you go ahead and and grab one of these cups? We're gonna break bread together. And I want you to take about 30 seconds right now, and I want you to just go to God. In your heart and in your mind, just begin to speak to Him and bring to Him all that you are in your life that is just drifting aimlessly shrugging your shoulders saying, I don't know. And say, God, I want to bring that before you. And then would you repent of your sins? And would you remember the cross, the new covenant that is found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? And in about 30 seconds, I'll call on us and we'll partake of this together. Just quiet your hearts right now. thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for your body broken on our behalf. Let's partake of this bread together. And Jesus, thank you for your shed blood that you spilled on our account as a sacrifice to take our place. Let's partake of this juice together. church today God invites you into 2022 and every year after that and into eternity through his word and through his Holy Spirit he invites every person listening to me right now to examine your life to sift through these important pieces and to bring them back to that original design with God for every man and every woman listening to me today for those of you who know, you know this. I'm not walking with God, not at all. I invite you to follow Him today. Would you start your ear? Would you start your year, honestly? I invite you to respond to God even in this moment by confessing your sins, and believing in God, and denying yourself, and following Him the rest of your days. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the turning of the calendar. I thank you that you have given us this day. We thank you for our bodies. We ask you to bless them, especially anybody here who is hurt or sick or ill in any way. Father, would you bless the work of our hands as though you were the only one that we worked for. Would you breathe life into our relationship with others? We repent of our sins, God. We acknowledge your work on the cross on our behalf, your shed blood and your broken body. And we commit our lives to you, to live for you, to follow you, to be adopted by you and accepted by you. We thank you for your grace and for your love. And the church together said, amen. God bless. See you Sunday.